The following podcast is scheduled for one fall with a 60-minute time limit. Coming to the microphone, hailing from Hayes, North Carolina, Playboy Brian Brickhouse. And his podcast partner, hailing from the Ozark Mountains, J.T. Hall. Together, they are known as Take Four Wrestling. This is Take Four Wrestling Episode 2. I'm Brian Kilby. And with me, I have Joey Roberts, a.k.a. J.T. Hogg himself. Joey, how's it going, sir? Pretty good. How are you doing? Not bad. Uh, recording this a little bit later than normal. So I'm nice and relaxed sitting here. Uh, you, but you're just, you're you're back from work. You just got off work, didn't you? Yeah, just a little bit ago. Uh, so you're but... like all tense and tired and everything. No, actually, I'm pretty relaxed. I, I've been taking it easy at work lately. That's good. Hopefully, hopefully none of my bosses are listening. <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. I'm just excited we made it to uh, episode two. I know. And again, Take 4 Wrestling, uh, it's called Take 4 because it's our fourth, it's Radio Free Cybertron's fourth take on a wrestling show. Uh, this will be posted, uh, the first episode uh, wasn't, but the first this episode will be posted at uh, our website, which is prowrestlingpodcast.com. I acquired that URL a few years ago, and we were doing our other first wrestling podcast there. My buddy Jason, uh, Mike, and I, who actually we were the hosts of that last podcast, we actually just went to the Ring of Honor uh, Best in the World show in uh, Concord, North Carolina this past week, and it is or it was the best wrestling show I've ever been to. And I'm like not even like a huge Ring of Honor fan. Uh, Steve Carino uh, came out of retirement to wrestle, and it was the bloodiest thing I've ever seen in person. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, he uh, he's just been doing commentary for them, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but man, it was awesome. They're doing uh, bloody bloody stuff in Ring of Honor now. Uh, no, but they pulled it out for that match, Ooh. which made it special. Well, that's yeah, that's actually pretty smart to do that because if you bleed in every match or on every show, what's it matter when you do it? But exactly. Do it once a year. That yeah. means something. Yeah, then you do stupid. You have to do resort to stupid stuff like beating each other with um, with light bulbs and things like that, and that's just no fun for anybody. Oh, I hate I hate those uh, light tubes. Those things are awful. Did you have to, Have you done any of those? Uh, no, I. Um, but I've had to wrestle after them and i've gotten some in my leg and my boot before that I, sucks i got uh they didn't sweep up all the thumbtacks one time after uh before one of my matches and i ended up having like two or three thumbtacks in me that sucks <laughs> yes yeah, so i'm gonna need more money for this one thing i was really impressed by uh at the ring of honor show it just shows how smart they are uh, if you've noticed it's kind of like a, a japanese event where people throw streamers uh into the into the ring uh to show appreciation for the wrestlers they charge three bucks a pop for those streamers <laughs> that's pretty smart yeah I, <laughs> those those are like i don't know how much they cost they're not they're not much like at walmart like probably. i think they're like 50 cents aren't they yeah or? yeah i've never been a fan really of jay lethal because uh, i just never had a lot of exposure to him but oh my god in person he is amazing have you ever watched him wrestle? Yeah, I haven't seen. I haven't seen too much of his work. Um, I've watched uh, some of his stuff when he was in TNA, and uh, he seemed pretty solid. Uh, so, I mean, like he's just he's just like got it all, and he was able to string to get, uh, together some moves like a freaking fighting game, like they were freaking combos in Street Fighter, uh, just stuff that I didn't think you could actually do. It just seemed to defy physics. Uh, really awesome <laughs> stuff. And uh, the uh, I think my favorite match on the card was probably the Steve Carino match. And Kevin Sullivan showed up in the end, which was just ridiculous. Oh, wow. Yeah, but I may have a new favorite wrestler. Uh, his name is uh, Silas Young. You familiar with him? I've never heard of him. Uh, basically, his gimmick is he is the last real man. He had a feud with Dalton Castle. Are you familiar with Dalton Castle? No, I'm not familiar with him either. So his his gimmick his character he's like this 
tropical dandy, I guess. It's kind of, uh, he comes out, he has, uh, two boys that, you know, accompany him. Sometimes they carry him to the ring. They fan him during the match and it's just the dumbest thing, but it is over. He is totally over. And he, he uh, does a great job. I mean, he, I, I really respect when anybody gets a dumb gimmick over. But uh, he did a – apparently Silas had a, a feud, which I missed, and I need to go back and go back and watch. He had a feud with um, with Dalton over the boys, which are his little manservants. And <laughs> apparently Silas won the right to the boys and tried to turn, tried to turn them into men. What I really appreciate about uh, Silas is the fact that he really uh, – he reminds me a lot, at least from looks, like uh, Rick Rude. Uh, so he's got the mustache and everything. But back in the 80s where Rick Rude was supposed to be some sort of sex symbol, uh, now uh, Silas is more of a – I don't know, a Chuck Norris macho style character. But I just really like that The Last Real Man is like a really awesome heel gimmick. And you don't see uh, you don't see a lot of in in my mind really good character gimmicks in from what I've seen from ROH. It's typically just people that are kind of an extension of themselves. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, didn't re- I didn't realize uh, Ring of Honor was doing gimmicks like that. I might have to give him a shot. Yeah, I, I really like gimmicks. I really do. Uh, but uh, like you know, you have the Briscoes, and their gimmick is that they're uh, rednecks, and that's what they are in real life. They're amazing amazingly talented yeah they're they're beet farmers aren't they yeah something like that but oh my gosh they are both phenomenal uh you have the bullet club and their gimmick is that that they're the nwo now is chase stevens he's in that isn't he uh right now it's the young bucks and uh what's his name adam cole oh and uh, of course uh, kenny omega i don't know if there's anybody left other than that I, I don't know. There's just something. I think the super kick is probably the lamest move in professional wrestling. And that's what they do over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, the super kick's really been devalued. Yeah, it's absolutely been devalued. I think there's probably uh, every show I'm on, I probably see it probably 25 to 30 times a night. Yeah, I don't even get what's so great about the super kick. Other than it's a pretty easy move to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a finisher you can do to anybody, but now that everybody uses it as a spot, it just, it's kind of like, uh, which I think the DDT still has a little bit of a finisher to it, but just kind of depends on how you do it. But the super kick's just completely just done. Yeah. But I mean, all in all, it was an amazing show. Uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I absolutely would absolutely would go back to another ROH event. This was the second event that I went to. The first was a, a TV taping in the same facility, uh, and they tape four shows at a time, and it, that just dragged on. Uh, but the pay per view was downright phenomenal, and uh, I would love to see another. I'm I, I, I'm actually going to start watching now regularly, week to week. Which is nice because uh, I feel I almost feel like I should have been doing that for a long time. Yeah, I might have to check that out too. You seem like you're giving it a pretty good recommendation. Yeah. Did uh, Did you ever go to any of the uh, old uh, WWF TV tapings? Uh, I mean, I so like Superstars or like SmackDown. Uh, it was uh, I'm ta- it was around like '97, oh. so it was like Raw and SmackDown and. Uh, I probably watched a tape raw. Uh, I don't. SmackDown wasn't around by that point. I don't think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah they had. Uh, it was like raw. Uh, Shotgun Saturday Night. I loved Shotgun Saturday Night. Like it was like six shows. They even had a a, a Lucha Libre show that so, they taped. So originally, Shotgun Saturday Night was filmed in uh, like. It was shot or filmed or f- shot live. I don't remember. Like nightclubs. That was the that was sort of the the gimmick around that show. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, that was cool. When they turned into just a regular show, it just it lost a lot of its luster. Yeah, I man, they were really trying a lot of different things back then. Where I mean, they're doing way more now, but it's on the network. Uh, but back then, I mean, they had that show. Was it Livewire? Where you could they were taking live calls. And yeah. emails and faxes that's no. crazy <laughs> yeah the uh, fax fax machine would go off 
So we were going to do um, a gimmick of the week this week for our second week. This one was who did you want to do? Norman the Lunatic. Okay, I remember Norman the Lunatic, but I don't have like a firm grasp on what the whole point of that was. So that would have been early '90s WCW. Uh, yeah, it was around. Um, yeah, early '90s. It was basically he was in a, a sane asylum, and he was in a. I don't know if he was an escapee. But um, he uh, carried a teddy bear with him. Yep. And um, he uh, originally came in uh, managed by uh, Theodore Long. Uh, Teddy Long. He had a uh, key that would would keep um, Norman the Lunatic in line because it kind of symbolized taking him back to the insane asylum. Oh, neat. So, um, but eventually it broke off when he became a face. He was... Real goofy, come down with a bunch of different stuffed animals, and he'd throw out eight by tens, autographed eight by tens to the crowd. Um, it was a pretty fun gimmick. Um, it got it wasn't uh, wasn't a serious gimmick, but it was. Uh, I think it got it was one of those gimmicks for the kids, you know. Um, so he was. But he was also many other gimmicks, too. I don't know if you remember any of his other gimmicks. I, I don't, but I did look him up. Uh, nothing really comes to mind. So he was, uh, let's see here. He also was Norman the Maniac. Was that in the Indies or something? Uh, I I think that was probably just around the same time. I think maybe, maybe he was a maniac when he was uh, a heel, maybe a lunatic as a face. You know, one gotcha. of those deals. Gotcha. Um, but he was also, um, if you remember, uh, Friar Ferguson, I don't, <laughs> what about, uh, Bastion Booger? I do remember Bastion Booger. Was that him? Yep. That was him. Holy crap. It was, I, that was, yeah, that was an interesting gimmick all within itself. I think we're going to notice on a lot of, uh, it, when we keep doing these gimmicks of the week that they have multiple gimmicks. Yeah. Because uh, Barry Darso had probably twelve gimmicks lot uh, when we talked about him last week, and uh, Mike Shaw had quite a bit because he actually started out as uh, Klondike Mike in uh, around 1982 in uh, Stampede Wrestling, and then um, he uh, got converted to uh, Islam and became Maka Sai. So he was an Arabian wrestler for a while, or whatever you want to call it. So at some point, I would really like to, for Gimmick of the Week, do Captain Mike Rotunda. <laughs> but but it'll take some uh, – it'll take quite a bit of research because I've actually done some research on it, and I can't find a lot about Captain Mike Rotunda on the internet. So we'll have to do some digging. Yeah, I'll, I'll look around too. I do remember his shirt. He, he did have a Captain Mike Rotunda shirt. That is pretty awesome. <laughs> Uh, Mike Rotunda is another guy that had a large amount of gimmicks. Oh, yeah, like IRS, uh, Michael Wall Street. What else? Uh, he was Michael Wall Street, VK Wall Street, uh, Varsity Club. I don't uh, really think of the Varsity Club as being that really a gimmick so much. I mean, it was. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, because they were just a bunch of high Jocks. school type wrestlers. Yeah. I guess it was a gimmick, but, you know, as a kid, it just made sense. That's a that's the one where uh, Rick Steiner was talking to his hand. Oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> okay, uh, actually, that's as that's as good a segue as any. So, um, the the show that we're going to talk about this week is uh, SummerSlam '92, and this was I I've never actually watched this, and again, um, I think I mentioned last week this was sort of a, a dark period for me because I didn't have cable or a way to watch any of these shows. So there are things on here that I just did not remember. Uh, and chief among them was with the Legion of Doom, uh, <laughs> Rocco. Yeah. Paul Ellering had a puppet, and he he did he mimicked the voice or he uh, tried to be a ventriloquist. And it was, it was, that was, what? That made no sense whatsoever. If you didn't, uh, if you, if you didn't uh, watch wrestling in that period, that probably was uh, quite a shock to you. (laughs) Yeah, we actually talked about uh, the Legion of Doom uh, from the uh, last, uh, in the last show we did. And I just said, you know, hey, I, I don't know why they weren't handled better. 
you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, that was, I was completely unaware of this and this is just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, um, I remember when it happened, I remember it was one of those things, even as a kid, I was like, this is dumb. Cause, um, I was 11 at the time and, um, even I knew it was stupid, but, um, they found, they went back, uh, Legion of Doom had lost their way and they went back to their, uh, the projects in Chicago and they were like looking through one of the, like the wreckage of an old building and Paul Ellering found, uh, their old, uh, mascot Rocco and he was going to bring the toughness back to the Legion of Doom. Oh God. <laughs> But uh, I mean, it was pretty cool with them coming out on the motorcycles, but I think it kind of got ruined by the dummy the, tied to the front of it. Yeah. Oh, God. So bad. Uh, but overall, so let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. So they wrestled, we mentioned uh, Michael Wall Street. Uh, so they actually uh, wrestled Money Inc., which is IRS and the Million Dollar Man. Uh, that was the opening of the show, uh, other than, I guess, a dark match. Or there were probably a couple of dark matches that started yeah, the show. Yeah, they actually had two dark ma- uh, two dark matches to start the show. Um, I couldn't find any videos of the Bushwhackers and Jim Duggan against the Nasty Boys and Mountie. Um, I think they aired these matches. Uh, when they, they initially aired this pay-per-view, they aired it live in England, but they aired it taped in America because it would have been at, like, I think like something like four in the morning if they had it live. And um, in England, they got all the matches. But when um, when they sh- taped it in, or showed it in America, they edited out three matches. But those matches were later played on primetime wrestling. Um, but I did watch the uh, the second match, which was Papa Shango versus El Matador. Oh, God. And El Matador was actually... Tito Santana. T- yeah, El Matador is Tito Santana. That's crazy. And Papa Shango later became yeah. the Godfather, yeah. and he's a WWE Hall of Famer, which I guess he was there. But uh, nothing really much to say about the match. It was it was definitely a primetime wrestling match. Yeah, uh, Tito Santana. Tito Santana was a really good wrestler, though. Absolutely. He, uh, the, the height that of his career, at least in WWF, though, is he he was an Intercontinental Champion, right? Yes. Which back then meant something. Yeah, he was, uh, that was a big deal back then when you were Intercontinental Champion. He, um, he was always, I always liked Tito Santana as a kid, um, even though he lost all the time, but he was really good at losing. He was, because uh, it just always looked like if he just would have had one more second or just a little bit more of a chance, he would have got it. And, uh, I remember playing with the uh, big rubber LJ in wrestling figures. He even lost all the time then. <laughs> I only have one of those right now, and it's Hillbilly Jim. Hey, that's a that's a good one to have. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. What else? What else really stuck out to me on the card? Oh, okay, so one thing though, uh, before before um, we jump to the next match, this match was finished off with a power slam, not the Doomsday Device, a power slam. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I'm not sure. Um, I remember hearing something that uh, Hawk was just completely just wasted for this match. He, so he looked really, really weak when he started off the match. In fact, yeah. uh, Ted just was able to have his way with him. And it made no sense uh, in context because, of course, you know, uh, Hawk and Animal are supposed to be nearly invulnerable. But Ted DiBiase was able to just basically take him and throw him into the turnbuckle. Like, yeah, just like completely unopposed. It made I, I no think, sense. I think he was definitely, uh, definitely wasted in this match. Um, but uh, I didn't know if you noticed. Uh, had one of the coolest uh, counters for a top rope clothesline. I've I've only seen it once. I've never seen it again with uh, Mike Rotundo IRS when he just fell out of the way of a clothesline. I Did you notice that in the match. I didn't notice that. No, it's uh he he just uh, hawk jumped off the top rope went for a clothesline and and uh Mike Rotunda just fell down out of the way and he just looked like he barely missed him i remember that always stuck out at me hey, over that's the smart. years of watching this that's smart but uh i've i've watched this uh SummerSlam 92 quite a bit to- a lot too over the years not as much as i watched the 92 Royal Rumble but yeah i like to uh study the little nuances and stuff hey you're smart to do it 
So I skipped the Nails and Virgil match. Um, <laughs> I didn't care. Nails was uh, sort of a – we talked about him a little bit last week, but in my mind kind of a lame gimmick. Nails just did a lot of choking, um, a lot of no-selling. Basically, that's pretty much the match, and he just beat Virgil. Uh, did I ever tell you my Virgil story? Uh, no. Um, I was on a uh, – uh, show in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. It was a um, deaf wrestle fest. It was for, it was like a benefit show for a, a big uh, deaf high school. And um, Virgil just showed up. He wasn't booked on the, the card. He just showed up to sell his merchandise. And uh, I went up to him and um, I was like, I introduced myself to him and I told him, I was like, Hey, I'm, you're uh, one of my favorite wrestlers. It's a real honor to beat you. He was like, Oh, quit effing with me. I was like, no, I'm serious. I really enjoy your work. He's like, dude, stop effing with me. That's not cool. I was like, no, I'm serious. I, <laughs> He did not believe me because I have always liked Virgil. But, uh, he did not believe me that uh, I was – I think he just thought I was uh, messing with him. Yeah. Supposedly he gets messed with a lot by a lot of different workers. So, But he told me that uh, – another time I ran into him, he told me that Hulk Hogan got him a contract for something like five million dollars in WCW. I don't believe five million dollars. I do. <laughs> yeah. believe, I do believe the Hulk got him the contract. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, uh, let's see here. What else? So uh, Shawn Michaels and Rick Martel. Um, eh, it wasn't. I mean, there was way too much man ass in this match and sh- <laughs> and Sherry ass. Uh, yeah. But um, I, this I wasn't. I don't think it was a great match, and it ended weirdly. With Sherry pretending to have a heart attack or something. Yeah, this uh, this was definitely a strange match for the time, too. Uh, heel versus heel. Uh, I'm not sure. It just was very confusing on how they booked the whole thing. So at that point, you know, it was heel versus heel. But Shawn Michaels definitely had his fan base, mostly women. But yeah. uh, there, the, there were fans in the crowd that had Shawn Michaels signs. And I don't remember really back then a lot of... Um, wrestlers heel wrestlers having a lot of fan reaction but i guess also at the time i wasn't paying attention to it so that surprised me a little bit yeah i think uh around uh 92 was uh around this period was when i think um people started getting smartened up a little bit more um i'm not i don't think the internet came into about 96 though but i remember kind of as as i got older i started leaning a little bit more towards the heels I think it was just to make my dad mad, <laughs> but uh, um, we uh, he he uh, got mad at me one time because I said something about Hulk Hogan. He sent me in my room and I couldn't finish watching wrestling. Really? <laughs> he, he was because we were arguing about Hulk Hogan. He's like, they can't beat him unless he cheats. <laughs> and I was like, oh, anybody can beat Hulk Hogan. Always. Like, <laughs> I got sent to my room. That's not true. So, <laughs> you hear that i read today that the wwe may be working on bringing him back don't know if there's any truth to it or not hmm. yeah well you know i i i think probably it's probably time to i mean how can you have wrestling without hulk hogan i know right so the next match was the beverly brothers and the natural disasters which i watched for some reason <laughs> actually i i enjoyed this match i uh i enjoyed I enjoyed watching Earthquake and Typhoon. Um, that was a heck of a dropkick by Earthquake, though. Yes. He, I forgot how agile that man was. But the uh, Beverly Brothers, uh, they, they, I don't think they were setting the world on fire. Yeah, we talked about them but the last uh, week. Nat- yeah, they, were, uh, they wrestled the Bushwhackers on that card. Yeah. And they uh, beat the Bushwhackers. That's probably why they got a title, a title shot. They beat the Bushwhackers. But... Uh, Definitely odd that um, the Legion of Doom and uh, Money, Inc. was on the card, and they weren't the champions. And the champions were Russell and the Beverly Brothers. But I think the Beverly Brothers uh, had just came in um, pretty recently. But I was a big big Earthquake fan. I liked Earthquake. And I liked Typhoon, too. I thought they were an interesting tag team. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, it made perfect sense to me, but as an adult, it makes perfect sense. Actually, I got a few ideas watching Earthquake wrestle for myself, so when I probably have to watch more Earthquake matches because he was a very agile big man. 
yeah, might as well learn from the best. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. What else? The Repo Man and Crush. Uh, I, do, I, I don't remember anything about the match, but except for one thing. Uh, Vince Horing Ico Pro at the end. Crush, <laughs> a proponent of Ico Pro. Like, a proponent of Ico Pro. That yeah. is so awesome. Yeah, that, that's when he was showing his Ico Pro stuff. <laughs> I wonder what that what that stuff actually had in it. I guarantee you, like with all the lack of regulation that they had back then, they don't have a lot. They, there's very little now, but I guarantee you that stuff was probably spiked with something. It, it, today, it'd probably be banned today. <laughs> wouldn't be able to use it in the Olympics, probably. Um, I this was I thought it was kind of an interesting. Uh, Interesting match, but they didn't mention that it was a demolition clash at all. Of course, that's when they didn't really acknowledge previous gimmicks or anything. But uh, it was Crush versus Smash. That is true. You know, I didn't think about that. Of course, they'd been repackaged, so I wasn't supposed to think about that. (laughs) Yeah, they did a pretty good job. Like, you didn't. I think I knew Smash was a repo man. Because of his tattoo, when I was when this was going on, I wasn't that smart. <laughs> but Crush, you know what? I don't think I noticed Crush. It's probably like the uh, He Man thing. Uh, I probably, I probably uh, caught some of these character changes, but you know, uh, that one's not one that I would have caught. Uh, the next, I, I remember him crushing the coconuts. Do you remember that? No. He used to do, uh, he would do promo, like before he came in, they would do his, his little promos. Uh, he'd be crushing coconuts in his hand. I want some coconut right now. I could totally deal with that. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior defeated uh, Randy Savage uh, via a count out and had a nice little uh, face uh, handoff at the end where he gave Randy the belt and held his arm up. I thought that was nice. This was when they had that uh, they had that thing with Ric Flair and uh, Mr. Perfect, and Mr. Perfect didn't wrestle at this time because of his Lloyd's of London contract, right? Yes, that's so he crazy. Was, uh, just managing. Yeah, I remember this was the big story of the of the night was which corner Mr. Perfect was going to be in, and he was in neither. Yeah, I don't I don't remember thinking that he was going to be in either corner. Um. Some of the funniest things were the segments with Lord Alfred Hayes. Yes. Be, uh, like uh, he tried to just Go say, the... Uh, open the door of yeah. the Ultimate Warriors locker room and bust right in. And then he got mad when Ultimate Warriors slammed the door on him. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> the uh, Let's see here. This match, though, I, I think Randy Savage did a, a, an admirable job, especially given the length of the match, doing what he could do. It's not the worst match I've ever watched. Yeah, it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty, I'd say it was a solid match. Is this the longest match that the Warrior was ever in? Oh, let's see. That was, uh, it It was was nearly 30 minutes. Yeah. So I, yeah, because I don't think the Hulk Hogan one was that long. No, couldn't have been. Or, uh, the only one that could probably be longer is the other Ultimate Warrior Randy Savage match. I remember that being fairly long. Yeah. Uh, Randy was such a great wrestler. Oh yeah, he was uh he was amazing. Just a meticulous worker. I uh, I I was a huge Ultimate Warrior fan as a kid. Oh, me too. As a kid, I you know, I thought he was amazing. you know, like I did not know who to uh, cheer for when he wrestled Hulk Hogan for the title. Yep. Yeah, that was uh some rough decisions back then. Yeah. It's uh something I've noticed about this whole entire show is too like how over everybody is. Um, Why do you think that is? Because people believed it. Yeah. I mean, even Virgil's over. Well, I, so interestingly enough, the mic was uh, the mic. The crowd was really well mic'd, especially being like an arena show because typically the acoustics yeah. on that, those suck. But uh, the WWF did a great job of micing the, micing the, the uh, crowd. Yeah, it's just something I've noticed going back and watching some of these old shows. How, because uh, today, I mean, if you watch Raw, there's going to be some matches where the like the crowd gets bored and starts chanting other things. And, yeah. 
But every single person from up, down, top of the card to bottom of the card were over, and everybody got great reactions. Yeah, it was I, think, just a great time. I think it's just because the the crowds weren't uh, the crowd wasn't smart. Yeah, a lot of times too. I think the crowd wants to be part of the show too much. Oh yeah, and uh, so they just start chanting crazy things, and uh, so they'll get acknowledged instead of just like I've always thought, just sit back and enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. You're paid for it, you know. Unless you work at uh, where you work and you get free tickets. Well, I don't get free tickets that often. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I I skipped the next match, uh, which was the Berserker versus who was it? Tatanka. Tatanka and Tatanka still wrestling, which is you know pretty amazing. He was at the Royal Rumble this past year. But uh, so, what happened in this match? Uh, this was actually one of the bonus matches too. It wasn't actually on the pay per view. Okay. Um. Well, it was basically just uh, getting Tatanka over. Um. Berserker, he uh, he was actually a pretty athletic big guy too. Uh, he did some pretty uh, he did a real uh, where Tatanka pushed off pushed him off a lockup, and he just flipped over the top rope. My like rec- my rec- my recollection of the Berserker was that he basically was always counted out. That was what I remember his gimmick being. He all that's how he won by count out. He won by count out. It was okay. Yeah. That was his finisher to throw the guy over the top rope. Gotcha. <laughs> That makes more sense. Yeah, he, uh, I don't know where they thought they were with that. Uh, there's actually another guy that did that too. Uh, do you remember the goon? Yeah, of course. He did, um, the, uh, the wall check or whatever, where he'd put him up against the, uh, steps and then just like check him into the steps and then get back in one by count out. I mean, that's no different than like in a fighting game where you win by knocking the uh, person out of the arena. Yeah, that's true. But you're not going to ever win a title that way. True, but the Berserker was never going to win a title. Well, that's true. Did uh, did you have? Do you remember when he tried to stab the Undertaker with a sword? No. <laughs> he had that big sword, and he he went to stab the Undertaker, and the Undertaker sat up the last second, and the sword was stuck in the mat. It was uh, he tried to kill the Undertaker. That's crazy. Did he really? <laughs> well, no, it was part of the part okay. of the deal. But... Okay. Just the, some of the crazy stuff they used to do back then, like the Ultimate Warrior getting locked in a casket. God, like, I remember that. Yeah, you mentioned the Undertaker. He wrestled Kamala, which I I, I love Kamala, I really do. But it was like a, a very standard Undertaker match from that period, and I forget yeah. how boring his matches were back in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, because he was basically a zombie. Yeah, he was basically a zombie. He was basically a wrestling mummy. When did we learn that he could actually work? Oh, probably, probably around the Attitude Era, like 90, 96, maybe 95, 96, was when he actually started selling and uh, where you could actually hurt him. Because at this period, you couldn't hurt him. No, no. Uh, I I do, like, uh, I think that was pretty effective for him because it was almost like, he always reminded me of the uh, tall man from, um, uh, What's that movie with the spear? The spear? The little spear ball with the tall man. The little spear ball <laughs> with the tall man. The spear ball. Uh, oh, I can't think of it. Um, it's got the little Jawas in it. It's got Jawas in it. Like I'm, I'm completely confused. I, I, I have no idea, dude. This sounds like a crazy-ass movie. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Phantasm. Phantasm. Ah, okay. Uh, he always reminded me of the, the tall man in Phantasm. Gotcha. Did I really say spear balls? Yeah, you said, yeah, you did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just liked how he, uh, like, he when he, uh, it would register the hit, but he wouldn't sell it as it hurt him. It would just knock him back a little bit and then keep coming. He, uh, he committed to that character pretty good. He did. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like uh, Jason Voorhees, I guess. Yeah. He was just unstoppable. And uh, back then, that was pretty... Uh, I remember being scared of The Undertaker. Like, he was uh, he was pretty scary. I was never really afraid of The Undertaker uh, as a kid. I, I, like, I, I thought he was supernatural, but I also thought Hulk Hogan would protect me. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's the only way you can uh, 
beat up a beat of zombies with Hulk Hogan. This is true. So our main event, this is the, of course, the one match that everybody recalls from the card, uh, which was the British Bulldog uh, versus Bret Hart. And it was a darn good match. I guess it's probably the best match of of the Bulldog's career. Yeah, um, I would definitely say that. It was, it's, I think it would probably be up there with probably one of the best, um, maybe top 20 best matches of all time. I don't know. I don't I think, think I'd go that far, but I mean, maybe, well, okay. Maybe if I had, if, if my, if I had a different mindset, I could probably say that, but I don't. Well, I kind of look at it from like this, from the setting to the setup of the match and everything. Um, it was the perfect venue for for, oh, yeah, for, for this, and uh, they had oh goodness, uh, Brett's sister, Di- Diana. Yeah, Diane, Diana. Yeah, um, they had her sit there, and she couldn't. I mean, the setup was perfect. You're absolutely right, but I don't know. It's just the match itself. It was great. It was absolutely great. It was phenomenal. But top twenty of all time. There's been a lot of wrestling matches. Well, that is true. Uh, maybe the top 20 that I've watched. True. Or top 20 WWF. <laughs> All the way through. Yeah, top 20 for WWE. Yeah, something like that. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was building, too. It was back and forth. Uh, I liked how um, Brett was uh, playing more towards, like, the heel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was originally going, uh, they originally planned it to be Shawn Michaels against Bret Hart. Oh, this worked out much better. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's why they probably changed it. Um, I think because this might have been more of a last-minute uh, change for the venue. I think they were originally going to have the show at uh, Washington, in Washington, D.C., but um, they changed it to uh, Wembley Stadium, and I think that was definitely a smart move. Because uh, uh, actually, uh, Bulldog did not hold on to the title very long after this. Oh, no doubt. He's not... He wasn't a money player. Yeah. And it's not that Bret Hart was the biggest star in the world either. Uh, but, of course, during the time, he would become their biggest, you know, their top guy. But, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, this was Bret Hart's, like, uh, pretty much his ascension to main event status. Because I don't think very much longer after this, uh, he won the heavyweight title. Yeah, when did he first win it? Was it at WrestleMania 10? Uh, no, it was before that. Was it? Um, it was before WrestleMania 9 when he wrestled uh, Yokozuna. Oh, I thought that was 10. Okay. Uh, the first time, that's when Hulk Hogan came in the last second. I uh, got you. I was thinking of the one where he wrestled twice. He wrestled and lost to Owen at the beginning of the pay-per-view and then wrestled and defeated Yokozuna at the end. But that was... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Bret Hart was always, uh, he was like the epitome of cool, I remember. Just uh, everything he did was cool, from his uh, glasses to just the way he walked. I, I tried to emulate him as a kid, like if when I wanted to be cool. Of course, they I probably looked ridiculous doing it. but Yeah, um, my friend Richard uh, loved Bret Hart as a kid, and I think he actually wanted to be Bret Hart. <laughs> like seriously, I think he wanted to be Bret Hart. I used to be a pretty good sized Bret Hart fan, but uh, I don't know. Last uh, ten years, he's uh, kind of soured me on himself a little bit, just with some of the stuff he's said. And I think, I mean, of course, he believes his gimmick, and you kind of have to. You kind of have to believe your hype. Yeah, but I mean, he might have been the guy at that time, but it wasn't that long before he was quickly eclipsed. Yeah, he. It's yeah, he wasn't. One of the best drawing champions. Nope. He was uh, pretty low on the list. But uh, did uh, there was an uh, interview with Scott Hall where he was talking about um, Bret Hart. And he said he went to Bret Hart's house. And Bret Hart had a picture of Bret Hart and gimmick in every room I, of his house. That's pretty awesome. And he said uh, right above his bed was a big uh, was a big picture of Bret Hart and like that jacket with the tassels yeah <laughs> was it a painting so, or was it a picture i would like to think it was a painting because that would be more that would be better but i don't know if it was a picture or a painting or not but i would like to think it was a big oil painting that's what i picture in my head that would be phenomenal <laughs> 
Bret Hart. I think Scott all said something like, he's like, I have a Bret Hart poster above my bed, too. <laughs> I wonder if Kim would like that. There probably, you go. Probably not. I talk her into that. Yeah. But a uh, great match had an, uh, an iconic end when uh, the Bulldog was able to just basically drop down on Brett as Brett was trying to do. What was he trying to do? A uh, sunset flip. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, just pin him one, two, three. Yeah. It was kind of out of nowhere too. Super, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, back then, back then you had like uh, matches ending with like small packages and little quick pins like that, but you don't really have that anymore because you have to have a spot fest. Yeah. This, uh, I think, this way was a lot, lot more, uh, it's just a lot more exciting because it can end at any time. Yeah. Um, and that's because typically a match has a certain flow to it, but this match didn't have that flow. Uh, they didn't have, it wasn't, uh, usually it's the face will get over for a little bit and then it'll be heat. Then the, then the face with the comeback, but this one was definitely, uh, uh, they went back and forth more than usual. Again, me again. Brett was a face trying to play heel, but he couldn't play heel all the way because, of course, he was a heel in the uh, at the venue. But all across the world, the rest of the world, he was a face. Yeah. So he could only go in so far. Yeah, and I think it really helped the match too. Um, and not only was the pacing different, everything looked like real in that match. I thought like everything looked more. Like it, it looked realistic more than normal. Um, like there was a one spot where uh, Bret Hart did a planche out onto the bulldog. And yeah, he like bulldogged his head down like the wrong way. It was. I noticed that it was uh, pretty brutal. Yeah, and uh, British Bulldog tried to do a uh, a uh, press slam and lost his balance and almost shot Bret Hart out of the ring. And uh, Bret Hart like got all tangled up on the ropes. Uh, I think I can notice. I I notice uh, little spots like that if they're uh, not. Uh, I know like uh, with doing wrestling, I can see like spots where they mess up maybe more than some people can. Yeah, but they're so good at covering it, the normal fan wouldn't notice that. And I think that's another thing that the internet's hurt because now they notice spots like that. They notice it. Plus, there's things like Botchamania where they highlight it. Yeah. But uh, back then, I mean, that was just, well, it's two guys fighting. You might drop them sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly right. When it's simulated combat, you expect to have uh, errors and you expect to have people missing punches and things like that. Uh, but now that everybody's smart, they expect everything to be perfect and crisp. Yeah. And that's just, yeah, it takes, it takes the enjoyment out of it. Cause, uh, I don't know how, how many real fights you've ever seen, but they're, <laughs> they're awful. Like, uh, you ever watched anybody like fight on a street or anything? They're uh, just on video. flailing and yeah. <laughs> even, uh, like MMA fighting, um, gets, uh, sloppy. So I think that adds an air of realism to it when there's sloppiness to it, where it's like two guys fighting. I'm not trying to say MMA is sloppy or anything. I'm no. not get beat up by an MMA person. But, uh, yeah, just I think that adds adds a lot of realism to it. But when everything's so nice and tight and wrapped in a little package, I think that just takes me out of it sometimes. So let's see here. Anything else uh, worth noting in this match? Um, Lennox Lewis was with the British Bulldog. That's cool, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, um, Bret Hart later on shot up to the heavyweight title after this. I think this showed that he could be in main event matches. Yeah. Um, cause it was very hard. I think it was very hard for him to break, break through the top of the card cause he was such a small guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and heck, he's not even small by today's standards, but back then he was absolutely small. not. He he's big by today's standards. Yeah, like I, 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 I mean, I'm not a tall guy, but like at a wrestling show, I'm usually as tall or taller than a lot of the wrestlers on the card. Yeah, there's a, a short short people wrestlers now. Yeah, uh, I got to meet Bret Hart uh, probably about six years ago. He was on a show I was on. Um, he wasn't wrestling, of course. He was just doing an appearance, but. It was pretty neat uh, to meet him. He was he was pretty nice. 
Yeah, I'm certain he's a great guy. I didn't want to ask him about Shawn Michaels. But... Nope. <laughs> cool. Well, that's but, all. Uh, this was, uh, I think this was probably right before the downfall of the dark ages of WWF, I would say. Like when they started going uh, downhill. So I think basically almost everybody was gone. Uh, all the big names were gone by uh, the Survivor Series in 92. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, Ric Flair wasn't around much longer. Macho Man wasn't. Uh, Ultimate Warrior was gone. Uh, Shawn Michaels and Brett were in the main event. There's no Hogan. I mean, it was because uh, there was a it was a big dark period for them for a while. So probably 93 to 96 was probably one of their lowest uh, drawing years. So this but this was the last major one. And this was actually one of their biggest uh, shows uh, attendance wise they ever had. 80,000 people. Um, I think it was. uh, Yeah, it was 80,000. It was actually more than the real attendance of WrestleMania three because they uh, they came out and said there was 93,000 people. But uh, I think the uh, actual attendance was um, a lot lower than that. They uh, hyped up. WWE always hypes up their yeah. way. But that's wrestling. Yeah, that's that's what you do. Yeah. When somebody asked me how many how many people were on the show I went to last night, I'm like, oh, there's at least a hundred people yeah. there on the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, fans, and uh, there's probably only sixty five to seventy. But you got to sound more important. Yeah, this podcast has five million listeners. There you go. That's pretty good. Now, uh, now they're going to tell their friends, and we'll have ten million. That's how it works. <laughs> well, Joey, I don't have anything else. Yeah, it was a good show overall. Did you enjoy it? I did. You enjoy this walk down memory lane from all these shows? I do. Yeah, I, it was a walk down memory lane from uh, two days ago for me because I only watched it two days ago. <laughs> Next week we'll watch uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling episode number one thirty, which was recorded on July twenty third, nineteen ninety. Four. It's not the first, it's not the last episode that they have on Smoky Mountain, but I do remember watching it, and I remember enjoying it quite a bit. So, Joey, how do people get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me on uh, Facebook. Um, it's uh, Facebook as uh, Hillbilly JT Hog. What was the uh, address? It's at tfradio.net slash hog, H-O-G-G. That's right. And um, there you can check out... Uh, my uh, matches that are coming up and um, I'll be probably posting the podcast there too. And if there's any listeners in um, cross lanes, West Virginia on uh, August uh, 25th, I will be teaming up with the boogie woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. That is so awesome. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. Um, He's, I think he's 74 now. So this is going to be really interesting. Yeah, that'll be really cool. So uh, you can find me at uh, B Kilby on Twitter, and of course I'm the host of Radio Free Cybertron, the original and best. Gosh, the original, like one of the first ever podcasts ever, but definitely the first Transformers podcast ever. Doing this now, off and on since 1999. Yes, I said 19. That's 20th century. <laughs> I didn't think the internet was in 1999. Yeah, we barely had the internet in 1999, <laughs> and I was recording myself talking about Transformers and throwing up it on throwing it up on the internet. So. Do you have any of the uh, first, like the first? I have every ten. episode that we ever record, that I ever recorded. It was just me back then. Well, me, then I had segments. Back then we didn't have Skype. And if I spoke to somebody, they I either had to be in the same room as me or I would have to call them over the phone. So, um, yeah, I've got every episode we've ever done on at tfradio.net. I don't think I've ever heard like the first like 10. I'd like to. Uh, so I sound way different, way different way different I, I was still a teenager at that point and um <laughs> you know very shy very southern teenager i would appreciate it if people out there did not go back and listen to those <laughs> episodes they're terrible the first episode i posted back in like october of 99 my friend jason i described it as nine minutes of his life that he'll never get back <laughs> it's that good well that's pretty uh you saw pretty you were pretty good at seeing ahead of time. Um, I wasn't thinking, hey, this is an awesome. Yeah, I wasn't thinking, hey, this is an awesome new medium. I thought, hey, I 
don't my Transformers website sucks. So how about I, you know, I work in radio. I know how to talk about things. How about I record myself and upload it so people can download it? It's not like I said, hey, I want to do a podcast because podcasts didn't exist. As far as I knew at that time, I was the only person on earth who was doing this. Maybe you invented the podcast. No, I, I did some research. I found one other uh, thing that I would describe as a podcast before me. There are probably more than that, but I've done a lot of research. I've only found one. And it wasn't it wasn't like and the term podcast uh, back when podcast was uh, originated meant something very specific. So uh, there are people who, oh this is the first podcast or that's the first podcast. Well, that's if you you know in context of the iPod and iTunes, uh, I predate that by a long shot. So I, yeah, that's I, right. Most people don't even listen on iPods anymore, do they? Uh, most people don't have an iPod anymore. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, mo- most of our traffic comes like from iTunes still, but um, but from uh, to iPhones, of course. Maybe to, maybe if if they have a PC or something, but mostly it's people listening on on their mobile device. Yeah, so I am a nerd, and I've been doing this for a while, and I'm much more conversant about Transformers than I am wrestling right now. So definitely back in a uh, growth stage here, which is nice for me. Uh, because again, it's uh, I've been a lapsed fan for a while, and it's good to be back. Yeah, every once in a while you got to step away, get get some get some fresh air, and then go back in the room. Yeah, very true. Very very true. Okay, well, uh, until next week, I've been Brian Kilby, and this is also Joey Roberts, JT Hogg himself. We'll see you later. Bye bye.